You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Tish, welcome to the Road to Wisdom podcast. How's it going? Uh, thank you so much for um, for you both for having me here. Yeah, it's going pretty good. I'm here on Nam. The sun is shining, and for folks that are tuning in, Nam is the Wairarung word for uh, Melbourne. And so it's uh, yeah, it's quite beautiful. It's a bit cool, crisp. One of those beautiful autumn mornings. Mm. I actually just learnt what Nam was the other day and I feel really like I've, I've figured it out. Like you've upped, upped well, in your knowledge base. we were flying, we were at the airport and I had no idea that they acknowledged the names in that way. And I was like, where is Nam? Where are all these people going to? And then I realised that it was actually Melbourne and I was like, that's really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm so all in for that. Mm-hmm. At, um, at our school, the kids learn. That let's really learning cool. the indigenous names of animals, and I'm like, teach me. I like we didn't get this at school. Teach me. Bring it in. A hundred percent. Like it's so nice to sort of like um, embed that those sort of languages so that everyone sort of knows and familiarizes too. Um, it's yeah. There's like been yeah. It's been a nice sort of shift from seeing what it you know the colonial construct names um, to the more traditional languages. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. And so I think one of the first things that we should um, introduce is you, Tish, and what you do and where you come from and your qualifications. Oh, that's the uh, qualifications. I always laugh at that (laughs) for myself because I'm like, am I? But look, um, I think importantly, I would like to acknowledge where I am. As a proud Kukulug woman, I am a guest um, not living on my homelands, so a guest here on Nam. So I would like to acknowledge in my language, Kulalagaya, Kulai Kinailak Esopoiban, Namun Koe Aga, Nud Muruzapu Aimithin, Alak Nalpunka Poiban, Kapu Bailud, Mitamuka Mura Buai, Amura Mubagal Nu, Nuzanel Tish, Nai Kuka Lag, Masignu Napa, Kuka Gal, Zenadith Kesnu, Esso. So, in translation, firstly, I would like to give thanks. Um, for island people, we're God-fearing people, so to our Heavenly Father for his blessings upon us. But good morning to everyone tuning in. I'm here on Nam. My name is Tish. I'm a proud Kukulug woman from the island of Musik, which is the central island, uh, which is a uh, translates to York Islands, uh, from Kukugal Nation, which is the central island group of Zenith Kess, uh, commonly known as Torres Strait Islands. And I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the cooling kinship, which where I live, work and meet and pay my respects to both elders past and present and our incredible leaders right across our nation, um, um, across the communities and celebrate the incredible spirits and contributions of the many footprints before us in protecting culture, climate, and our community. Um, I, uh, I guess, 
I, I get confused sometimes for myself about the label to put on myself because it seems just so like in a box, but I'm a climate advocate. Um, what I do is I help support um, those communities that are on the front lines of uh, climate impacts um, being impacted first and worst, but actually don't contribute uh, to our emissions. And so um I support uh, in a campaign called Our Islands Are Home. Um, I have just joined the team um, at Australian Communities Foundation as their First Nations Program Manager. Um, And that is on the other side of sort of that organising campaigning, but fundraising, uh, fundraising to make sure that these groups that are doing the incredible work, systemic shifting and advocated and building our communities and making sure that they're resourced. Um, But passionate about the ocean um, and protecting my island communities um, from sea levels rising. That was kind of a brain dump. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it was good though. And (laughs) I'd love to talk about quickly to your history because you have done a lot of work like in the marine, in marine biology, and then a short stint working for one of the um, energy companies. So you've got like a really good background to talk to. You've had every single, yeah, You've worked in every single aspect of it, so you've seen it all. So I feel like you're very qualified for the job, my love. <laughs> no, that's it. I think that's, um, you know, knowledge is diverse knowledge, you know, comes from different places and um, it may seem odd to have gone in the minerals and exploration industry, but, you know, it gave me the experience and knowledge to see, like, what uh, job transition and bringing those sort of communities and blue collar working, but also saw the ongoing, you know, um, I guess degradation and desecration of like country. Um, But we can jump into that later. Excellent, excellent. I think where I would really love to start is acknowledgement because we do hear everyone is acknowledging country at the moment, which is fantastic. However, because we do hear it so often and it seems to be on the on like a recording on the start of lots of podcasts these days. Um, We would love to know, yeah, I I think we'd just love to hear the significance of it. There's a little bit of conflicting information, which I did send you prior to this, and your answer was so beautiful. So, yeah, it would be great to just hear from you on what what, um, the significance is, why it is important, and, yeah, take it from there. Yeah, I mean, it's a really great, I think, you know, as we sort of um, in this sort of like landscape that we're in and I guess shaping sort of like a lot of um, once in a generation sort of systemic changes this year, um, there's a lot of question to how um, the way that, uh, you know, those that are wanting to support First Nations people and their allyship and what that action looks like. And so I think an acknowledgement to country is a really great place to start. Uh, it is, a, um, I guess, importantly, um, acknowledgement to country, I guess, it, it is a term that was um, f- first sort of led by uh uh, the settlers here in Australia, 
to acknowledge in pay their respects into moving away from colonial constructs that how we got to sort of the foundations of how white Australia was made up because since sort of um you know, colonization, there have been, there are inequalities and injustices to sort of how we got here in these modern sort of barriers that we still um, face today. And it has sort of shaped the way that we've got here. And so in a, in a way for both, um, all of us to come together, um, folks, uh, consulted with different traditional groups about how they can I guess sort of acknowledge who the first peoples of this country was and so the acknowledgement to country is a way that for those that weren't originally from here or have blood descendants they're paying respect to that they still are a part of a system that benefits because they are still living on stolen land and um, and I think that's where um, that shift into then what people are identifying, what their allyship looks like. I think it's like that true telling of our history, um, how we got here and what we sort of need um, or what communities and elders are, you know, working towards of treaty processes for, um, for sovereignty. And so... Um, it is important um, because it's a sign of respect, um, but I think it is one also to identify that not everyone, um, an acknowledgement to country is not a practice that is widely used through the nations right across um, First Nations group of white Australia. Because we've been homogenised as one group, there have been challenges. And so um, I think that's one of the barriers that you've sort of shared through is that you've seen the sort of like tokenistic um, sort of blackwashing sort of, uh, well, folks sort of blackwashing their space sort of, you know, acknowledging but what do you mean by blackwashing that's a, sorry that's a really great question uh chloe so you know blackwashing is sort of um putting on your platforms um uh the things that you're doing for supporting whether it's um uh, first nations people of this country by so communities or people of colors right so like when the afl before a game acknowledges yeah. country is that yeah. blackwashing do you think mm-hmm. or is that no, so I think that's the difference. It's a matter. It's not necessarily blackwashing because that's a that's a practice a that respect. they're implementing, exactly okay. to acknowledge. But but I guess what's blackwashing is the ongoing racism that happens in that game. Yeah, and they don't. I get you. Acknowledge yeah. that the integrity. That. There's a whole bit that exactly. you're like, hang on, that doesn't really align with what you said exactly. at the start. I've yeah. said the acknowledgement to country, but I'm not going to change the way I behave, kind of thing. Got it. Yes. Exactly. And I think that's where what you've sort of identified is that, is that, you know, you see a lot of um, people that are trying to shift, but it's not meaningful. It's not intentional. And they've probably maybe just Googled it and copied and pasted it. But what really are you acknowledging? Because... We all come from this land and this ocean where genetically we have evolved from it. But for First Nations people and people that identify as Indigenous to their culture have lived with this human nature interaction 
where we are one, where our stories, our totems, our creation stories are so intertwined and weaved into um, who we are, into our practices. And so when we say that I I acknowledged in my language, but acknowledged um, and the and the many footprints before us, and that's a sign that I pay respects to those, um, you know, standing on the shoulder of giants. Where could I be without those, my ancestors who couldn't fought for the rats before here? And so I guess when, you know, as a, in shifting the way that they're doing it, there's, um, I think it's really important to do it, but I think everyone has their own way of understanding and intentionally acknowledging where they are, where you might be around coastal, beautiful country, and you see the many beautiful native banksias, and you see how it interconnects so deeply into, uh, and shifts from that coastal, um, to like Nightcap National Park, which is Mm. sort of this sort of like rainforest type, and it's so lucky that feeling that you get in your heart that's what you're acknowledging and that you're grateful right mm, that's and so it's just about I'm sharing so it in your words yeah that's beautiful and so I think you know <clears throat> yeah I think um, sorry a lot in there no, no it was good. good it was good um I think uh, correct me if I'm wrong too because my brains I do always apologize for the lack of brains that I have um but the it kind of stems from my understanding was that um, acknowledgement to country also stems from um, that between mobs and crossing those borders, they would acknowledge that they were no longer on their own country. So um, could you go into that a little bit more too? Absolutely. Um, so you are 100% right. It was also acknowledging um, and crossing over uh, so to someone's land was a way of how we were only um, entering if we were passing through on long journey, uh, on to visit family, to maybe even share or trade resources. And so one thing that uh, even now we sort of um, do in modern times is so so while it was sort of coming to the border and they'll have an interaction sharing from moving away to uh, nuances today is that uh, especially for me as a guest here on country I don't um, whether I'm going in a watering hole um, or a waterfall or down at the beach I always sort of um, chuck in a bit of sand or a rock and introduce myself my intention of why I'm here um, and that uh, I know that there is deep history, maybe deep hurt, but maybe deep healing as well. Um, and that I come in as I come here with uh, safe space and safe intentions. And that was a way to acknowledge um, to our spirits that they too then can look after us. Because something that we say um, as First Nations people is that if we look after country, country will look after us. And so we can apply that to sort of the practices in modern day of caring for our country and managing our land better so that we don't have crazy wildfires or being able to listen to First Nations people and their knowledge about ground, about the way that the land works to avoid sort of maybe floodplain areas 
you maybe listen to people because they know where the watering holes are to access because we're the sunniest, windiest, but driest country and continent in the world. And so we know where to access water and fresh water in our artesian basins. These are some of the things um, that sort of goes back into that. Um, And so being able to sort of introduce ourselves, share that, we'll be looked after in return. Yeah, that's beautiful and so amazing. And I'm so glad that we now have a deeper knowledge of that because I feel like now we can do it from here. I just want to, excuse me. So as a white person, sometimes I feel like, am I allowed to say these things? Or like, is it my place to say, you know, like acknowledgement to country or to my environment and to my land or, you know, like we just... um, bought a property just down the road and sometimes I'm like I'd really love to celebrate this space and kind of put it out there that I'm willing to be 100% responsible for this land and regenerate it and look after and take care of it would it be appropriate to have an elder come and kind of just give us that permission or and sometimes like oh maybe it's just not my place like maybe I'm just not allowed maybe I just shouldn't do you know what I mean um would that be that's a good question I like that I I think I think it's a really great question right because you know you're coming in a space where now acknowledging this and being wanting to shift your practices in a way that you approach it understanding that you know that you're not the first people's there you want to respect this space but I guess those approaches and how to um and what that looks like Mm. and uh, I can't speak for all all different nations, um, but what I what I know is that this is something that if you you know it's what's the type of as an ally and the moment that we're in for sort of these change. What's the type of sort of Australia do you want to do you want to live in and raise your young people in? because where there's a lot of change happening right now and that draws the intersections of like the foundations of colonial history and so the way that we're doing things is um, I think we can only do it together and through power of collaboration and working and learning from those that have cared for country for, you know, over 65,000 years for millennia. Um, I think you come from a, you know, the country that you're on, um, beautiful Bunjalung, has many stories, um, has uh, many different, um, you know, many different folks and nations. And I think... I I think the first step is wherever you may be, and this is for folks um, that are tuning in, is that I think, you know, understanding who your, um, who the uh, kinship is in your community, um, understanding the elders and the families and some of their creation stories down here on Nam, it's Bunjul. For me, I come from Marlowe's Law that shape half of Kukukal Nation. And so understanding and learning those sort of, it's sort of like the rainbow serpent and those stories. And then bringing how then learning, like, you know, what is it that you two then want on your land uh, that, um, and the property, Um, you know, is regeneration and need. Uh, Are you wanting to farm on there? Are you wanting to sort of regenerate land? Are you wanting to put, um, 
you know, I guess the purpose of that property. And I think it's just sort of then coming together and then I think healing that space, uh, learning from an elder. I think if mm. that's something I think is really special because then it's that kinship together for you between that relationship and that they continue to maybe one day come and visit their land. Maybe they have a story that was there that you can feel proud of knowing and that you can share with the children that they can hear from, from that. And I think that's really cool. Mm. Um, it's a way of, um, you know, ongoing learning um, and, um, bringing together those communities. Yeah, I think um, it'd be. Sorry, really... I don't know if I answered no, that. You that did. Was you did. I think I've got a question that will kind of lead on to that, and it's I'm going to put it in like in frames of how I think about things. So when like when you go to France or something, you kind of live like you're French, right? You kind of you adopt all those cultures, mm. but I feel like here that's not being inherently done. So it would be so nice to, like, yeah, with your land, be able to adopt the Indigenous culture mm. to, yeah, to look after, work with. Yeah, um, and I guess it's, it's a missing piece of the puzzle, right, because I'm really into, like, ecology and, you know, understand the concept that what's in my environment is perfect for me to thrive if I um, harness that in a way. But there's also a big unknowing and it's like it's not in the textbook of what's available to me. Like I don't have the inherent knowledge to look at my land and go that I can eat that or this is how to make, you know, there's bunya nuts here and I can make a cake with this. Like I don't have that knowledge. And so um, a part of I think the, the missing piece is really connecting with that as well and I love that opportunity to – but um figure out what's an invasive species and what exactly (laughs) and that's it and and through the introduction of cattle and sheep um through the you know in early frontier spaces it degraded our land and the way that we looked after and managed it and so there's you know i'm not a pro i'm not a professional and the best place to speak at it but there are people that are leading in food sovereignty um, like black duck foods that are working of obviously uh, using um, reintroducing back kangaroo grass our native grains you can see that through chefs using it in their botanicals and stuff like that but what you know you just sharing about you don't you're interested in that ecology what I'm sort of seeing down here in um, around the Victorian part is that people with that um, uh, that don't identify as First Nations are working with sort of First Nations farmers because the equity of accessing that land is a barrier. But what they're doing is working and uh, doing like a market garden and mm. sort of working in a relationship sort of like small scale like that, that's able to sort of um, regenerate use their practices, support, um, you know, a First Nations. And so I know that like from um, used to living up that way, there's so many incredible farmers and different types of folks and maybe there's some First Nations folks out there and that's something that, um, you know, potential opportunity and for folks out there listening yeah anyway <laughs> we should, um, jump into a little bit more about the northern rivers and um yes basically a point we've spoken about is that typically up here there's a lot of um you know like everybody's on a healing journey and um there's so many modalities that are 
rooted in other countries like South America, India, China. China. Um, and they're kind of like that's what everybody does and it's, you know, they're also beautiful as well. But um, we've talked about what the equivalent would be. Here, because yeah. yeah, you find all these like these yeah healing modalities, as you said, um, and I mean, I feel like at this stage, I know so much about South American plants, and <laughs> I know so much about Chinese traditional Chinese medicine. But I don't live in China, and I don't live in South America. I live in Australia. Yeah, so and those ecology yeah. concepts are kind of out the window when you're like, well, this doesn't even grow in my environment, and yet, and would it work? You know, if you're taking yeah. a plant from South America but taking it you know, on Australian soil, like, does it even work? Like, do you have the same connection to spirit? And, yeah, so anyway, so I guess the question was, you know, why don't we see that more here and what can we do to change that? Or what does it look like? I'd love to just hear about it even. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had the opportunity to even ask what would that look like? I, th- I think that's a really good start of like I think understanding our ocean and our land is because like these practices are the roots from where these um, uh, nations come from that was healing that they lived off and it was again that human nature inter- interaction and interconnection that we're so deeply embedded into our land and ocean that we are these practices are through healing and so here, a classic example, and most that would probably uh, know, is a smoke ceremony. That is a practice of sort of healing and using, um, you know, the uh, the depending on where you, what nation you come from, but um, you know maybe the manga eucalypt leaf that sort of smokes it up, that sort of shares uh, and tells that spirits of you know that where you come from, and it, and it has those I guess um, you know those practices in the setting can create those you know. He- have those medicinal works it's that you know because our land is our hospital you know we get um our you know some of these leaves are like soap trees for us and you know we can drink banksies and grab the cordial but I guess what we don't practice uh is that we just have a gap of understanding a lot of what those herbs and medicines are because only elders um, or those that have walked country really know it and practice it. We've still had barriers to really share it. It's only like we've only been able in this, what, the last, you know, six decades, not even, (laughs) Um, but being included not from flora and fauna, but also being able to be proud of our identity and our colour. And so a lot of this knowledge and these practices are in the, um, are rooted with sitting down with elders and yarning. And so I guess to answer why we don't see it is because how many people that you know sit down with elders how many people do you know make relationships with First Nations communities that have cared for this to learn those practices to walk country? And so, um, you know, it's why we don't sort of see it and then be able and then, you know, while we know that our practices and these ancient practices from around the world um, have these 
play a certain purpose they've never been acknowledged or there's still gaps with um acknowledging them in western science and so then there are barriers with that and then some of that science is not told by that person from that nation it's told by a non-indigenous or a colonizer person and so you know we have sort of these sort of layers it's a multifaceted layer of like why we don't see it but um you know there are folks um first nations people and especially women matriarchs and healers that are around and i think being able to as they continue to learn their practices and sort of uh, intergenerational learning to pass down to the next mm. and so we're sort of seeing more but there's still gaps and I think there's I think what we need to see is a little bit more of those stories and those practices sort of platforms on you know spaces like this or in books and you know um, and have more access so um, folks that are interested can learn and understand mm. definitely definitely I guess I while we're talking about healing and health um one of my favorite studies and I haven't read the whole thing but I've you know this book is kind of like a a bible for me in a way um it's the western a are you familiar with western a price dish he basically no I'm not I'm sorry no that's okay he um basically traveled around the world and looked at um indigenous um people and their health and kind of just looked at them and followed them around. And um, this is a very butchered short story, but basically he came to this conclusion that um, in Australian Indigenous people were the finest, like they were the strongest, the most, you know, robust, the healthiest. They had the healthiest teeth, jaw, like basically they were faultless and he put it down to what they could eat like that they were just living off the land and the types of food that they ate was so supportive to them and you know they were they had no health issues their perfect jaws and they obviously had the perfect diet and so which amazes me because we if we look around that is not the case for for us anymore um and so I know you're you're quite versed with you know you're you're observing the climate and you know really in that um and so I'd kind of just love to jam and explore on yeah because knowing that and it goes from you know living with the land working with the land living off like being part of the land more or less and that that's probably when you know our like mother earth is healthiest and now what we're seeing to stop like in the name of climate and climate science um, is getting further away from that with introducing more technologies and smart cities and climate lockdowns so we'd be even further removed from and removing (laughs) removing big things from our diet um you know like Mm -hmm. animal foods for in in replacement of created lab meats (laughs) So could you jam with us a little bit on that one? Yeah, like what would it look like if... I mean, where to start jam, hey? <laughs> I mean, just a, uh, just a small question. If you could little. just, you know... Yeah. <laughs> if you could a great you summarising know, point there. <laughs> Nothing big or anything. Mm. But look, I think importantly is that 
well, I think to start off with is that for a very long time, we have gotten to a place in our society that through um, certain, uh, you know, through certain systems, certain uh, communities, um, we have come to a place where we're past turning points and thresholds and where we're seeing um, a lot of well, a lot of our land be impacted and our oceans, but that has now impacting uh, not just those vulnerable, but everyone. Uh, but it's that because we're not feeling it equally is the challenging barrier that we have. And I think, you know, um, we need to learn a lesson from Mother Earth. And I know that seems like... So Byron, I guess, <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> but I think it's a reminder of like, you know, taking away and using sort of language that is really colonial and settler that has all been about, um, that has been led by uh, not those that are First Nations and Indigenous, like climate action crises, all of those sort of language to sort of like the caring and the value of actually unlearning that and relearning you know um the ways of where we are right now we've been we were sort of like we were put in institutions that only had a certain structure of education instead of that of being a walking country following and learning from elders sitting down that what especially First Nations people used to just sit around and listen because we never had a written language Everything was shared, spoken through word and through our paintings, through our songs, through our plants, through our lands, because it's shared through um, and kept on the history of everything. And, uh, and that is like, you know, we've conducted this social and ecological governance in ways that both sustain healthy relationships with country and healthy relationships with people. Because taking care of sacred resources means taking care of people. And not just for now, but for our grandchildren and their grandchildren, which also means in order to take care of their you know, um, you know, the sacredness, the science, the humanness, the cultural knowledges and practices of this country. But, you know, as we continue to see um, patriarchal systems um, that uh, uh, continue to be uh, perpetuated um, in many forms, uh, we still have, we're seeing not long-term and sustainable solutions, but short-term that they think that can still profit. And we what need was, to understand that, that it's... That? What's a short-term? Just so I can wrap my head around kind of what you're, what you're trying to say. What's a short-term solution the, that you... The smart, I guess, smart cities. Oh, that needs. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Like, like smart cities or mm. like... And that's just yep. a me opinion because that's... No, I share that opinion. Because smart cities aren't <laughs> yeah. accessible for regional areas. But like exactly, yeah, so like all lab meat or, you know, going like um, shifting the way so that we can do this or green energy. We need to shift away from this language and actually unlearn that and reconnect with where you are presently to understand 
these real solutions are born from grassroots communities led by incredible leaders that know what's best for their community and know how to restore and integrate um, it back into what works well with their land to shift away from it. And that also gives us the First Nations people, the self-determination to make decisions about their country. And this comes back from cultural heritage Act, where we've got just archaic legislation that still continues to undermine us as people that honestly puts, you know, is a perpetuation of that barrier of human rights. And so if we can learn from that and unlearn from colonial constructs, we can create these communities that can be more robust, that can live off the land, that can be more meaningful, that can be more purposeful, but more sacred into what it can bring. But, you know, these ongoing barriers of systems of oppression just continue to impact us, and especially women as well. Um, and this is not just here, but in the over across the globe, and you know this the changing climate continues as we continue to surpass those tipping points. We need to, um, you know, the solutions are out there. It's just galvanizing them to do it. What would but some of those solutions that. look like? I'm really interested because I feel like the solutions that we've been given currently just seem really like a band aid and a corrupt kind of. It, they it actually seem insane. It's, it seems <laughs> absolutely insane. There's no other word. Yeah, for it. like the solutions that we're being given actually are going to end up being more detrimental because they always got to create right? a lot of technology which uses a lot of resources. It's just kind of perpetuating. And like you said, the human rights issue. I don't think there's any regards no. <laughs> to <laughs> many <laughs> humans anymore. But anyway, I mean, I think for coming from um, sort of. The, the stuff that I'm, um, you know, how I'm supporting communities is that Torres Strait Islander people, like my nation, is calling for sea levels, um, for sea walls. Um, and you can see sea walls that are um, throughout different areas of um, around the coastlines of Australia are dependent on obviously how our currents work. That knowledge is obviously dependent on those that live by that land. And so, um, as sea levels rising, uh, right, uh, right now there are sea levels rising, overfishing, inundation that are impacting, that are climate impacts that are really, um, quite detrimental to our communities. And, uh, last year, uh, and this is just going a little bit, but the Our Islands Our Home campaign saw like eight Torres Strait people take their voices to the Human Rights Committee and accuse the then Australian government, um, uh, the Morrison government, for not uh, reducing their emissions. And so I guess a salute, so coming back, so bear with me, is that right now Australia is leading in, uh, is number one and number two in exporting coal and gas which is um, exacerbating our emissions globally, creating polar ecosystems like Antarctica and the Arctic Circle really vulnerable, which drives the biological and physical shifts of the ocean. My people are really dependent on eating and um, uh, on the ocean because it not only... Te uh, 
it helps us travel to and from islands. It provides us our medicine. It provides us our food and our resources. And so when our, uh, when our coral shifts are warming up um, and it's shifting from ocean bleaching through the shifts of the oceans, my people are unable to catch fish. And so food security is a risk. But more importantly, or just as important, we're not able to practice our culture where we have a right to practice when we have practiced this for thousands and thousands of years. And so through this, when we took this case last year in September, the government actually found that they were guilty. And on a United Nations level, are the first developed nation to be reprimanded to pay loss and damages. Right now we're coming up to a budget in May. And right now we see that there aren't funding a solution that could be really help support my island communities is a seawall. But right now my family are using a forklift pallet with coconut husks and coconut leaves as the first barrier from sea levels rising where in I've had to pick up in the last three summers the bones of my grandparents because of that. And so as we in this political landscape are going through what we've been hearing over the last couple of months, safeguard mechanisms of making sure we reduce our emissions, these are the things that we talk about, um, what we can do that is sustainable, fair, maybe not long-term, but until we sort of, you know, until there's the barriers of, I guess, you know, energy that's still in discussion and through other things. But, you know, being able to do that, working with our people, working together so that we can continue to practice culture. You're working together with stakeholders to understand how that island shifts. We're able to remain on our islands and not be uh, dispossessed and become climate refugees and not be at risk like, you know, leaders from other parties that are continuing to share deficit language and racial behavior right now that we can be remain and still be and these are the gaps that we still that I you know we face and so when you look at in that landscape it's like how then do you become and step into that and what can you do more and I guess it's that meaningful of what we brought in the beginning of this of like acknowledgement to country but I guess of like you know that solutions of what you asked Chloe mm. you know this is what it looks for these are the solutions that are being led by people on the ground in community they know that they need a seawall they've been advocating but for some reason when we've got a budget coming up we're not going to get that mm. and so who's who and and out my community don't ever contribute to an emission. It's and this is so where we see when you talk about it that impact. And so for me, for intergenerational learning, how do I then pass down the next generation of learning? You know, I want to share these stories with Will. Um, you know, I have her as I have like you know my island home I also have like Willow's sort of like sign that she drew for me so she was like please don't forget me <laughs> you know these are the things that I you know as you know I hope to you know when I have children I can share these on but these are the things that are at risk and sort of I guess bring it then into a local context where you know where maybe you're both at is that 
you know, you've just gone through impacts of floods. You saw desecration of your lands, your rivers. And, you know, there's a lot of First Nations people and communities still sort of bearing the brunt of sort of rebuilding. There are still non-Indigenous folks that are still bearing the brunt of rebuilding. And we still, um, and I th- and that's not obviously to bring in that in, but I guess that's that sort of like we can learn from the lessons um, to be better. And they're there. We have a whole history of what not to do. Mm-hmm. And how we do it, we we had those approaches and we know that we have community that want to come together for that collective of, you know, collaboration of just yeah. change. I've always thought that to make any good progress with any of these issues that we're kind of facing, especially climate, we always, I mean, for me, I'm like, well, the only way to go forward is to go backwards and it's actually to live in a completely different way that, we, that we're currently living. It's not to create new technology. It's not to create, an, you know, something to overcome the next thing whilst we continue to live the way we're living. And so something that really frustrates me is that the government actually has never spoken about doing, you know, instead of, you know, climate lockdowns or we're going to ban meat in which they're just pretty much doing in New York at the moment um, and blaming every cow on the planet for the climate, which is obviously an over-exaggeration for story here. Um, They've never said we're going to go to Woolworths and Coles and we're going to strip it bare because we actually don't need 95% of the shit that's in this store. They're not doing that, obviously, because corporate greed. It's corruption. They've never said... um, you know, instead of getting every single petrol diesel car off the road and replacing it with electric vehicles because that's going to absolutely kill a whole other region of this planet and it's actually not sustainable in my opinion, we're going to just do this instead. It's like there never seems to be a retraction. It's always continue living the way you're living and we'll come up with a solution. So... I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it just seems frustrating. And I can actually see why people don't want to get on board with climate stuff because it does seem like silly. It seems like, well, really, are you going to tell me I can't eat meat even though Western Price clearly did this phenomenal study proving that, you know, Australian Indigenous people ate this way and they're literally the most incredible human beings on the earth, but I'm going to have to eat plastic. It just seems like... We're not, we've got our blinkers on a little bit and we're, do you know what I mean? I, I mean, you make a, you make a valid point. Exactly. It's, it's like these, like, you know, multinational corporations that are, uh, you know, uh, you know, a part of the system that's really, you know, leading in this. And instead of like taking accountability and those that lead it and those government and political parties, they're just like, we'll have a sort of like a plan B, plan C. That's not just as good, but because they just can't unlearn. And I understand transition and I know that people may need that, but it's about like, this is where I guess, you know, you're right. You can't just take off meat off it because people need it. People's blood types are different. People have choices or, what you know, have the right for their choices. But I guess it's like, and maybe this is, you know, I guess, and you might, you may disagree, but I guess there's climate solutions of those that are sort of, you know, 
um, shifting the way they um, farm, shifting agricultural mm. practices, um, having more alternative so approaches, mm. are biodynamic. And, you know, a big part of this um, has been like, I'm grateful for you, Kashir, because of your intense, uh, like, for your passion and like wanting to interrogate and unpack, um, you know, really big issues of like, remember going on my journey and you going through the research and understanding that, you know, I feel like I am a better person in this and understanding of food because of you and understanding that. And really it, it sort of galvanized my, um, uh, wanting, I guess, thirst for knowledge for food sovereignty, um, it's a, it's about sort of shifting the way that, you know, plastic, like you're right, plastic is not, may not be the cause of the climate crisis, but it is a symptom. But there are communities that cannot afford because of the cost of living right now, you know, to go plastic free, to be able to minimize that out. And so you had some low lying programs like the Red Cycle Loop that, you know, could put your soft plastics into into places where it could be distributed. And that was low lying and a step into. But now because of funding and, you know, uh, they've been go, uh, you know, they've been displaced and been sort of like shut down, and so it's like those that are still dependent that don't have a choice. There aren't options for them, and it's not making it accessible mm-hmm. because as we shift, we know the expenses of this, and as we continue in this landscape of cost of living, you know, it's through the decades and decades of sort of like, I guess trying to push government and our and the greater audience of white australia about jumping on board on you know leaning into climate justice you know this through covid was a major disruption because it exacerbated the use of plastic and single use and now those that may have ongoing barriers it's still going to be a gap and so there are things out there we're going, it may be two steps forward, you know, two steps back, but I think um, there is, I think it's just the way that you approach and the who you sort of like collaborate with and being intentional and shifting the way that we did it from the past and working, walking forward together, uh, you know, um, in relation and strengthened and connected with um, those around you. I think, you know, there's that for, you know, there's a step into change and to shifting. How do we connect to those grassroots kind of um, communities? Communities is not the right word, but, um, you know, like if we were like, all right, let's leave here today and I want to go and do something. Um, is it more like look at yourself in the mirror, look at where you're at and that's your biggest, that's our biggest step forward or... And then second to that, how do we get involved as an ally that's actually doing something that's I think worthwhile? Can I interject? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I was actually trying to say two things at once then <laughs> and I got completely skewed. Um, no, I like where you're going with it. I mm. feel like in, in the perfect world for me, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tish, um, but it would be in our schools they're taught how to forage. And they're mm. taught about the native plants, what is native, mm. what is not native. And that is a 
that is an everyday thing that they learn as much as they learn reading and writing. Mm. They're learning how to live off the land because if you can then change those future generations and take them away from needing a supermarket and supermarkets just filled with plastic packaged foods Mm. to now I can like I can see a lily pilly tree over there and I can go grab you know A, B and C. Grab my bow. Next Go year, hunting. you'll be able to say what those A, B, and Cs are. We're on it. We're, We're going to get it. on We're this. We're <laughs> But like, yeah, if our kids are learning this at school, and like, you know, which is part of Indigenous culture, which is part of the rich history of the Indigenous people who have lived here, well before you know, white man stepped a foot on this place then all of a sudden we're kind of, we're going to, like, that's a massive shift. It's away from technology, but it's also away from using so much energy, which Mm. is, it's the energy that's the issue here. Needing to drive places, needing to go to supermarkets where everything in a supermarket has had the highest carbon footprint ever. So... Anyway, that w- that's my solution. I'm just going to advocate for that. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But it's kind of like I feel like we. I wish we had more access to people speaking on this type of thing as opposed to the government pushing down their corrupt BS on us and all of us are just kind of like trying so hard to just, you know, we don't want to hear it mm. because it's it just seems dirty. We're just like, no, that's not how it's, it's not health going to play out like that's it's not health for people yeah. it's not health for, for our, our planet it's not health for and at this the point there's not much trust left in the in the to be squeezed out from them so it's kind of like it'd be nice if we could find ways to connect with these grassroots movements and kind of bring back some of those cultural simplify needs. go backwards a bit to go forward a hundred percent and i mean you completely said it like it's these multinational corporations and governments that put it back on us like as if it was our blame like you know like the carbon calculator <laughs> like you know and, and and making as if it's responsibility but I think that's where it's just like I think it's community and people that have that power because we've seen it before when you know movements happen change is there and you're you know you're right we need to keep like a part of this is not just like shifting, you know, industries like agriculture. It's sh- shifting, most important, especially in this country, big industries uh, like the fossil fuel, and you know, keeping all new coal, oil, and gas in the ground, because every fraction of a degree matters. Because you know, it's the vast difference of, I guess, you know, bringing, you know, lived experiences. But I guess, you know as an advocate like it's the vast difference to climate justice to climate action where 1.5 uh degrees could mean a fighting end uh, could mean a fighting chance for my people where two degrees could mean the fighting end and so you know we wield the weapons that can make us or sell us out and we have to do it for each other right mm-hmm. we have to do it for our people for our humanity oh tish it's been so good chatting to you. Thank you so oh much for gosh. coming on. I, uh, thank you both of you for having me here and just, I think, sharing a lot and creating a really safe space to just, you know, start, um, uh, you know, these, uh, to start this conversation in your space, to create these conversations and sort of, um, yeah, 
you know, I guess, yeah, unpack more and can't wait to just share more about those, you know, grassroots groups as well and sort of mm. working how you both connect um, and strengthen the road to wisdom with them. Oh, thank you, love. Thank you so much, It's been fantastic. We'll, um, yeah, we'll have to get you on for another part so we can We go say that after we speak to everyone pretty much because everyone, there's just yeah. not enough time. We could talk for hours. There's not enough time. <laughs> <laughs> this has been so good and I've learnt a lot. So thank you. Thanks, my love. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.